and ask you to bless this time, give your, give your leading as to what you would have us to, to see as we look at this. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to read the whole psalm, even though we got half of it done last week. Verse 1, make a joyful noise unto the, to God, all you lands. Sing forth the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say unto the Lord, how terrible are your works. Though the greatness of your power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto you. All the earth shall worship you and shall sing unto you. They shall sing to your name, Selah. Come and see the works of God. He is terrible in his doing toward the children of men. He turns the sea into dry land. They went through the foot the flood on foot. They did there did we rejoice in him. He rules by his power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves, Selah. Bless our oh bless our God, you people, and make the voice of his praise be to be heard, which holds our soul in life and suffers not our feet to be moved. For you, O God, have proved us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You, you, have, you laid found affliction upon our loins. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to a wealthy place. I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay my vows which my lips have uttered, and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer unto you the burnt sacrifices of fatlings which with the incense of the rams. I will offer bullocks with, with goats, Selah. Come and hear, all you that fear the Lord. I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But verily God has heard me. He has attended unto my voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which has not turned away my prayer, nor his, nor his mercy from me. We're sitting here from last week. We talked about the praise of God and how he said the world will praise him and all of earth will praise him. It, we talked about the Red Sea and or the Jordan because both places they entered, they crossed the, the flood in, in victory and, and was able to see what was going on. And, and uh, so we, we talked about last week all the, the praise going to him and how the righteous are, are to praise him and how we are to raise our voice to him. And in verse 10 it says, For you, O God, have proved us and tried us as silver is tried. Okay? And we talked about this last week, but we'll continue because this next little triad of verses are all about the same topic. God tests us. Okay? As Christians, God will test what we believe. And he says, as silver is, tr is, is tried, which means they put it on a flame and they slowly heat, keep heating it until the the dross, the, all, the, all the material that's not silver comes to the surface. They skim it off, keep raising the heat to bring up more of the, more of the garbage and drag it off. And they keep going until basically they create a mirror in it that they see their, their image without any imperfections. God is doing the same thing to us as his servants. He puts the heat on us until he sees his image coming out of us. And we won't, we won't do that very well usually. It takes a lot of heat and a lot of years and a lot of work for him to get his image out of us in an in a un, 
unblemished area. We start showing his image a lot sooner than that if we're following him because he's in us, working out of us as he crucifies us. But his goal is to get his image shining out of us. And that means the more heat he's put on us, the more dross he's removed, the more his image will shine out. That doesn't mean we become God. It just means that we become more like him. We start thinking like him. We start acting more like him. And hopefully, as we look back over our life, we see that that is what happens in our life. Hopefully, today, you are more like God in, in your attitudes, in your speech, in your actions than you were last year, two years ago, three, however many years you can go back with God. Uh, you know, and this is important for us to be able to say, I am becoming more like him. And the great testimony is when somebody sees that you are like God. They see that love. They see that forgiveness. They see that grace. They see that kindness. Will we be perfect? Absolutely not. We've talked about that over and over and over again. We will never be perfect because we have a sin nature. We will be imperfect up until the day that we stand before God and we, we cross over from this world into the heavenly world, and then he glorifies us and makes us who he said he was in the beginning. Okay, and we've talked a lot about this. When we're saved, God says, make sure that's on. <laughs> he says, we are perfect. We know for a fact that we aren't perfect. <laughs> but God in heaven has declared that we are just. We have been justified. We are declared perfect in the courts of heaven. And God looks at us as we are perfect. Why? Because he knows who we will be <laughs> when we're glorified. Okay, and he kind of skips over those the 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 the, the months, years, days, decades, whatever it is, in between the time we get saved and the time we die die in the flesh and just transition to being in his presence. Now it doesn't mean he's not working with us, and you know during those years he's going to keep crucifying us. He's going to say, turn that heat up, <laughs> turn that heat up, get get more of them out of their life and more of me to show up in their life. And who remembers, we've done different studies, but what does silver mean? Does anybody know what silver means? Redemption. Silver means redemption. That's why when you read in the, in the tabernacle, the, around the edges of the court, the court was built upon brass and gold on the court, Brass is judgment, gold is the deity coming through, but in the tabernacle, it was made with silver bases and gold tops. Redemption between the ground of earth, the man, and the, the, the walls of the temple was redemption, okay? Silver is redemption. So when you see God referring to silver, oftentimes he's talking about redemption, and here he is, trying your, your, you as silver, the redemption that tries us. We were redeemed by God. And then the cost that it, that it made for him to buy, you know, buy us back. And I talked a little bit about that this morning. To me, it is amazing that God created people. <laughs> Knowing that they were going to fail. Knowing that he would have to buy them back. And the cost of that redemption was going to be his death. The price of redemption. To turn to God. When you hear somebody says, well, when I stand before God, I hope my good outweighs my bad. No, that's not God's standard. 
He says, I've redeemed you. I've paid for your sin. If you don't accept that gift, you have nothing. And this is why it's sad when you meet people who are striving to be as good as they can so they can please God. I've got to work real hard at pleasing God. No, you need to be put on the fire. Let God work out the, work out the, the dross and let him crucify your flesh and let him come out of us. His reflection. He wants to see his reflection in our life. And that is when you hopefully have seen different Christians that at glimpses you see God being reflected through them. Nobody's going to be that perfect, re perfect reflection. And I've shared with you, I love being in a business place where the, all hell would be breaking loose in the, in the restaurant and, and I would have a smile on my face. I'd be, okay, God, you're in control. We're going to get through this. You know, it's not that big a deal. And people at the end would ask, how can you still be happy? How can you have a smile on your face? How can you, you know, not be going crazy with all of this chaos that was going around? Great opportunity to share God with people. God's in control. That God wants to, wants to be seen more and more through us. And that's the whole purpose of trials. Every trial is to see do we believe what we believe? When you're reading the Bible and God says, I want you to learn more about faith, he's going to put you into conditions that test how much faith do you have. You start wanting to teach, you know, think about love, I can guarantee you, you're going to have somebody in your life that you think is unlovable when you first meet them. Because God wants you to practice love. If he's working with you to practice forgiveness, He's going to put somebody in your life that needs forgiveness from you. So much fun when you do this. <laughs> that God will put whatever he's working on you, he will put that situation in your path. And then to top it out, as we've talked so many times, it depends on how far along you are. This silver needed to keep getting hotter to pull out more and more dross. You didn't start at the top, but you started at the bottom, and, and, and the dross would boil up, and then you put a little more heat, and the more would boil up. You put a little more heat. God does the same thing for us. Each time we pass a test, God says, congratulations, get ready for the next one. <laughs> and the next one is harder than the one we just went through, but because we passed the one we just went through, it's just a little harder. God couldn't have given us that test to start with because we would not have been ready for it. And my example is, you know, the kindergartner. If you give a kindergartner or a first grader a test, one plus one is two. For a kindergartner or a first grader, that is a test. If you were in college studying calculus and some professor gave you a test, one plus one, two plus two, nine plus nine, you'd probably look at it and say, is this a, are you kidding me? Right. You know, he's saying, well, it's a test, not for you. Okay. But this is the way God's tests are for us. The more we have passed his test, the harder the test will be. Not to destroy us, but to challenge us so that more of him will be brought out. Because if it's a test that doesn't bring him out, it's not a test. If I can do it completely in my strength, it's not a test. That's taking the one plus one example, giving it to the college you know, kid and saying, here's your test, and they're looking at you like, uh, you know, number one, they'd be looking at you, what, you know, what's, the, what's the catch, you know? you know? What's the catch on this? They'd be looking for the catch on that test. But, but I hope you understand what I'm saying. A test isn't a test unless it challenges you. 
And the more you grow with God, the harder the test has to be to challenge you in the spiritual world. And this is that example. He's putting the fire up. And he turns the fire up. Verse 11 says, you bring us into the net. You have laid affliction upon our loins. The net refers to the, tree, the, the net that they would capture birds in. They would get the birds in in and they would throw the net over them or as you've seen some shows sometimes the animal would trip, trip a net and the net would fall and David here is saying you brought us to the net you have brought us to the net so that he's responsible for protecting us in the middle of that you have allayed affliction upon our loins you know, this is not a message you hear for most most people telling you know say thank God for the trials <laughs> But you know, this is what he's wanting, because the trials bring us deeper in the relationship with God. If we did not go through trials, we would never be leaning on God. We would never have to go to God and say, God, I want to trust you more, because there would be no reason to. In Proverbs, we're told, give me neither, po give me neither poverty nor riches. Poverty lest I steal or riches lest I curse God. And this is very important. God brings us into these circumstances so that we will lean on him. If we don't have to lean on him, we forget God. It's so easy to forget God. I've seen it happen to so many people. They get a few blessings, they get rewards, they get, they get some benefits in life. And for us in the American dream, the, the big idea is I want a house, I'd like a car, I'd like to have maybe a second car for my for my wife and you know, give me my quad and my boat and my jet ski and my big screen TV and you know, and you know, sometimes God blesses people with those things and the next thing you know, you never see them in church. Why? Because they're busy playing with their blessings. You know, well I've got this jet ski, I've got to take it out to the to the to the river or the lake to use it. I've got this RV, I've got to go out and go camping. You know, and I agree, if you had them, you should be using them. I would love to have a boat. I have no idea when I would use a boat because I'm too busy with coming to church and, and ministering and all of that. So if I had a boat, I could guarantee you I'd be finding some time to use the boat because I love boats. So I don't believe that God's ever going to let me have a boat. <laughs> because it would be too big a temptation to go boating rather than serving God. And this is the, something we need to be careful of. A blessing can sometimes turn into a curse. Uh, one of the songs I remember on the country radio was, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. <laughs> you know, uh, and you know, you hear that song and you start realizing sometimes when God says no, it's a very good thing that he said no. Even if we don't understand that it was a good thing that he said no. <laughs> You know, we may not understand it until years later. We may not understand it until heaven that, that it was a good thing that he said no. But if we truly believe Romans 8.28 that all things work together for good, then we know the answer no is good. We don't need to see why. We just say, God, okay, I'm not happy you said no right now, but it's for good. And this is important for us to be able to say, God, I don't understand why you're doing such and such, but it's for good. It's going to be for good. Mm -hmm. God, I don't understand why you blessed them and not me, but it's for good. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you may even get, God, I'm sorry you blessed me <laughs> because of where it took you. 
And this is very important that we look at this. And he puts the, the nets, the trials, the afflictions. He says in verse 12, you cause men to ride over our heads through fire and through water. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is a military term. It's, it's, if you've been around the military or military strategy, this is the idea of overriding the enemy. The enemy's in place and they charge the tanks or, or the cavalry over, straight over them. <laughs> you know, you're, not even, you're not even there as far as they're concerned. They just run straight over you. It's an overrun. You, you've lost the battle simply because they treated you as you weren't there. Have you ever felt like Satan has done that to you, charged right over the top of you and, and stomped you with the horses and the people going through as he just said, oh, there was somebody there, bye, and, and charged right past. This is what David's talking about here. The enemy has overridden right over the top of our heads. They've just charged right over where we were nothing. And for a military general like David, that's a big deal. Your army's there, and they have been just run over as if they weren't there. That is a serious place to be in. And he's saying, God, you have done that. You have caused the enemy just to ignore me and just drive right over the top of me. And if you think about that, if you were to think about in our day and age, a whole, whole battalion of tanks just driving right over your position, that would be a very scary thing to do. Hope I was dug in. <laughs> you would hope you're dug in and not, not just laying on the ground. I hope you were in a big, deep foxhole so that you're, so that you're not being crushed. And narrow. <laughs> yeah, and narrow so nothing falls in. But this is what he's saying. But then he goes, but. Uh -oh. I love the word but always. Always when you see that but, there's something transitioning. You brought us out into a wealthy place. All the trials, all the troubles, all the hardships end up in a wealthy place or a place that runs over that's, that's satiated. I love the word satiated. It means to be totally full. He says, I'm going to bring you to a place where you're satiated. You're going to be full. You're going to lack nothing when you get to the end of this. And we look at it when we're in the middle of those trials. We don't usually see that. This is why, to me, when I go through trials, I quote back to God all the time, God, I don't understand this, but you say it's for my good. You don't have to understand what he's doing. It. You don't have to even know why. But you grab hold of that verse and says, God, it's for good. You're going to do something good from this. I don't know what it is. I can't even figure out, God, how it could be good. But you've promised that it is for good. Now remember, I've shared with you, don't ever put for my good in there because that's not what the verse says. The verse says it is for good. And how that can be for good, who knows? It could mean that I was an example to somebody else. Paul and Silas being beat and thrown into the Philippian jail with all the, the rats and the, and the unsanitized conditions, singing praises to God. <laughs> you know, can't imagine why anybody would want to do that, but that's, they were saying, God, thank you. You've allowed us to suffer for you, and we're just going to sing your praises. Earthquake comes along, they're free, their bonds are broken, the Philippian jailer is ready to kill himself and say, stop, we're all here. Philippian jailer gets saved. Yeah. Gets saved because they were beat up and sent into jail. <laughs> would, they, would that Philippian jailer have been saved if they hadn't been there? Who knows what God would have done elsewhere, but they were there at the right time for that Philippian jailer to have great good from their beating. And his whole family. And his whole family. And the church, the church in Philippi started from that event. So we never know what will happen. 
Paul knocked off a horse made blind. <laughs> you know, and God says, I've got a great plan for you. Having to go out. Ananias had to go to, go to Saul to heal him. <laughs> How would you like that assignment? Ananias, I want you to go see this guy. He's been throwing Christians in jail and, and uh, testifying for their death, but you're going to go see him because <laughs> he's my servant now. Uh, and I can, see, I can see Ananias quaking in his boots. Uh, Lord, uh, is this really your voice, God? I don't, uh, this doesn't sound like a very good idea. You know, he gets his eyesight and I'm going to jail. You know, and we laugh about that, but really... You can picture this is Ananias's thought. You know, uh, you, I got to go talk to who? You know, you want me to talk to to this person who's responsible for jailing Christians, sending them to their death, and I'm gonna and you want me to go talk to him? God, have you lost your mind? <laughs> you know, and yet he went and did it. Went and did it. Could have gone to jail if if everything if he hadn't been hearing from God right, and yet he did it. God brought him into a place of great pleasure, great reward. Have you ever been in a place where you have been doing something that really made no sense? God said, go do this, and you look at it and say, uh, God, it makes no sense. And then you later on found the blessing in it. Maybe you're there now, you're doing something that made no sense, and God says, do it. And you're waiting for the blessing that's going to come from the, on the other, other side. Be assured that it is there. The scripture is full of those examples. And this is why he gives us the stories of all the different individuals in the Bible so that we can see what they're told to do, how it worked out. Imagine being Moses, wanted for murder in Egypt. And God says, uh, Moses, I want you to go back. And by the way, you're not just going back to Egypt. You're going to go into the very court of Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Uh, Pharaoh had one, probably had one of the wanted posters all, you know, in, his, in his little sheriff's department as well. Wanted for murder. <laughs> Capital punishment. We want, this, we want this guy. And not only is he to go into Egypt, he is to go into the, it'd be like going into this police station and saying, you know, here I am. <laughs> you know, and God protected him. Gideon, going to battle yeah. Gets himself 30,000 people, and God says, you got too many. Mm -hmm. Send them home. He's down to 10,000. Hey, you've got way too many still. Mm -hmm. Send some home. Gets him down to 300, and he's going to go battle this huge army. And you can picture Gideon saying, God, you've got to be insane. I had, I had an army that wasn't big enough in the first place, and you told me it was too many. And now you're telling me to go fight them with 300. Joshua going into the promised land. Just a couple million million people, a couple, couple hundred thousand, 500, 600,000 men of, of war saying, we're going to conquer this entire territory. It's going to be given to us. And saying, okay, <laughs> let's go for it. David standing up against Goliath, one, one young man against a giant who's been, who's been battling and winning battles, single-handed battles all of his career and going up against him. And David had great, great faith. It wasn't even a test by what you listened to David saying. Peter is a bad example. He denied Jesus three times. And the last time was to a little girl when he swore that he didn't know him. To a little girl. He failed the test. But God still redeemed him and brought him back and made him a great man. 
even when we fail the test, God is going to say, okay, let's go through and we'll redo the test for you. We'll redo the test and let you have a second chance at it. I love God's plan. It's a, you know, he doesn't say, okay, we're going to do the next test whether you, you pass or not. He goes, okay, if we fail a test, we get to stay on that test till we finally get it right. Whether it takes two or three days, months, years, decades. Abraham was called out of the Ur of Chaldees and he said, go into a land that I sh will show you. And he said, go by yourself. And when he first left the Ur of Chaldees, he took Lot and his father and made it as far as to Haran before he stopped. And his brother. And his brother, yeah. Until he stopped for decades. Stuck in the wrong place, not following what God told him to do. And you know what? God didn't give him any other instruction until he finally got up and, and left Haran to go to the promised land. God will do the same thing to us. When he tells us to do something, he will sit there and he will wait for as long as we need, if he needs to wait for us to decide to obey him. Doesn't mean that his life is going to be easy during those times. I've shared with people, it took me six years to learn something one time. Miserable on me, miserable on my family. Because I was so slow to learn something. I can guarantee you those decades that Abraham was in Haran were not easy time because he wasn't in the right place. Doesn't tell us a lot about what happened there. But I know what happens to everybody else in the Bible who doesn't do what God tells them to do. They suffer. And they don't have blessings during that time because they're not doing what God says to do. And, God, and David says, God, you're sending all these things to us, but at the end, at the end is a wealthy place, a satiated place, a great place to be. And it is, a, it is so wonderful when you finally give in and, and obey God. You say, God, I, I surrender. <laughs> I'm going to do it your way. And you see the blessing. You see the blessing, whatever it might be at the other end. It might just be peace. <laughs> you know, and don't ever underestimate the value of peace in your, in your heart. Because if you've ever fought God any length of time, peace in your heart is going to be one of the greatest gifts that you can have. When you finally give up and say, I'm going to do it God's way, and he gives you that peace that passes understanding, even though things are going bad, you still have peace. Great blessing at that point in time. Verse 13, David's response, I will go into, the house, into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay my vows. When my lips have uttered, which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was trembling. This is kind of an interesting thing. Have you ever heard or even maybe made a vow to God in the middle of a, of a hardship? Everything's going around and you decide, God, uh, uh, if, you, if you deliver me, I'm going to do. Uh, a lot of people will say when you make a vow under those conditions, God's not going to hold you. But that's not what David is saying in this verse. He's saying, I will go to the house with burnt offerings. I will pay my vows, which, I, which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. God will hold us accountable. If you make a vow to God, he expects it to be fulfilled. And this is why it's very careful. I try very hard in my lifetime not to make vows with God or promises with God. 
because I don't want to be in a position where I have to keep some, some condition even, when, even to my hurt. And I'm the type of person that I am going to keep a promise even if it hurts me because that's what God says to do. And I've heard pastors go, well, when I was young, I made a vow too. You know, and I'm going, wow, you were really brave because I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. And sometimes it's real simple to read the word of God every day. You know, and then you'll hear them say, well, I made a vow to God to read the word of God every day. I didn't tell them how many pages. Sometimes it's only a verse or two, but I read the word every day. Now, that probably isn't what they meant when they made that vow, and I have trouble thinking about that being, being the reach of the reach of their vow. But that's between them and God. But we want to be very careful. When we're in the middle of all of this, we want to trust God, but be careful about vows to God because he will hold us accountable to vows. And if we make a promise, you know, he expects, in the word of God, he expects us to keep our word. And he expects us to keep it even if it hurts us. And that's what it tells us in Proverbs. It's what it tells us in, in Leviticus. It's what it tells us in Deuteronomy. If you make a vow, you keep it. Even if it's going to cause you hurt. God, I had this opportunity to go to go do this, which I really wanted to, but I made a vow to somebody to do this. You better keep your vow to that person. Parents do this oftentimes with their kids. Uh, kids, we're going to go fishing on Saturday. I, don't, I would never make that vow because I hate fishing, but you know, we're going to go fishing on Saturday, and then something comes up on Saturday, you know, the, the opportunity to go out with some people to, you know, to a fancy restaurant or something. Oh, kids, I can't do, I can't, we, can't go, we can't go fishing. We can't go camping this weekend because something else came up. God says no. He says keep your word. Maybe it was even more serious. You had the chance to get a promotion if you actually you know, skipped the camping trip. That would be something that would be quite costly. And yet God says honor your vows. He'll, he'll, he'll take care of us. And it says I will enter in your house with burnt offerings. For those that have been here on Wednesday night, burnt offerings are the offering that was total, total dedication to God. The whole offering was burnt except for the hide. And the hide was given to who for those who are here on Wednesday nights? The priest. The priest. The priest got the hide of the burnt offering. But it was symbolized total dedication to God. He said, and David said, I will offer you the burnt offerings. I'm going to be totally dedicated to you, God. And he says, with the incense of rams, you know, I don't really know what the incense of rams are because incense were, had nothing to do with rams. It had to do with the olive oil and the frankincense and, and all of this. But when it burned, when the flesh burned, we think it stinks. But to God's nostril, he says, when the burnt offering goes up to him, it pleases him. I can't imagine what in that smell makes him pleased. <laughs> but he says it pleases him. And I think, it, I think it's because the sacrifice, we're giving up something. Because you've got to think, I mean, when you gave a ram or a, or a fatling, the best of your flock, that cost money. You know, that, their, their income was based on your animals, pretty much. You didn't, you didn't, go, to, you didn't go to the store with, a, you know, with dollar bills and everything. You went with maybe some silver, maybe some gold. You went there with, uh, with some cattle, some, some hides, and you bartered, bartered your price. And this sacrifice of the, of the ram was one that brought sweet savor to God. You were giving up, especially when it was a bullock. The bullock was expensive. You know, your sheep was not near as expensive as the bullock. The bullock was a big animal. 
It, it was valuable. Mm -hmm. And they made a sacrifice to him and said, here it is. He says, I will offer the, the sacrifice of the fatlings. I will offer the bullocks with goats. Selah. And David is, David's a pretty wealthy person at this point. He's king. He, 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 can, uh, he can make offerings all the time. And he was talking about when they brought the, the Ark of the uh, Covenant and the, and the mercy seat from the threshing floor that it was into Jerusalem, how every few feet, and I don't remember how few, far it was, but they, they only went a short distance and they stopped and made sacrifices. How long did it take to get that, that journey is kind of an amazing thing, but they're offering sacrifices every few feet. Uh, and even if even if it was 20 feet or something, you're still you know, <laughs> stopping every 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 couple feet to make an offering, and saying, "God, we're we're gonna we're gonna adore you. We're going to exalt you." And God eventually, in, in, when the people gave it for the wrong reasons, David always had this heart of, "I want to just please God. I want to do what's right." Later on, God's going to say, "Your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your new moons, they stink in my nostrils. Why?" Because the people were just doing them as ritual. Mm -hmm. God, you said to do this, so we're doing it. We really don't want to give you this animal, but you said to do it, so we're going to go do it. And God says, I hate that kind of offering. If you've ever been taught about tithes, if, if all you ever do to, on a tithe is give because God said to give, and you're begrudging every moment of that gift, it's told us in the New Testament, don't give. If it's that much of a, of a headache to you, don't give. You'll, you'll miss out on all the blessings you would have given, but you're not going to get the blessings if you're given with the wrong attitude anyway. Paul says that in, in Corinthians that God loves a cheerful giver. God, I want to give you this gift. I'm not giving it just because the, the Bible says to give it to you. Now, that could be a good reason to start giving and, and learning to give. But if that's your attitude 20 years down the road that you're giving just because God said to give... You've got a problem. You've got a real problem if that's the only reason you're giving. You better just stop and just give what you feel like giving at that point. And I've worked out over the years that I give God more than a tithe because I feel that he wants it. And I feel that I get blessed by him getting it. And I do. I get blessed by giving more than the tithe. Nowadays, it's not much, much, but <laughs> there used to be a time when it was a pretty good chunk of change back when I used to make good, good money. But I still say, God, you're going to get what I have committed to giving to you because you bless, you've given me so many blessings. And I hope that you see God's blessings. Yes, it's hard sometimes when all, everything's going wrong around us and, and Satan's been given permission to beat us up real good. And notice that I say Satan's been given permission just as he had to go to God to touch Job. He has to go to God and say, God, I want to I go harass your child down there, and God says, okay, I think maybe they can handle it. Go ahead. I can guarantee you there's times when God looks down and says, no, you can't touch that person. They're not ready for it. Other times he says, go ahead. Go, go, go harass them for a while. They'll still love me. They'll still honor me. They'll still keep me, keep my word. They'll still follow and love me. And we get a chance to be Job for a while. Most of us haven't gone through quite as much as Job did, losing everything that, that we have in our family and, and all of that, but sometimes we do. And God is saying, I've given him limits. I've given the tempter limits. He can only do so much. 
And you know, when we're in a position where we feel like we're just being beat up more than we can stand, I love 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There has no temptation overtaking you, but such it is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape. Whatever we're going through, God says you can handle it with the way of escape. The way of escape is with Jesus. And we just turn to Jesus and let him help us out of the issue. And once we turn to him, it's over. The battle's over. <laughs> you, know, you turn to Jesus, the battle is over. You run and hide in Jesus. All, you know, we've, over and over, we've talked about it. He is a strong tower. He is a fortress. He is our defender. You hide in Jesus, and you've won. Because nothing is going to beat him. Nothing will defeat him. He is a tower that will stand strong. Now, I could stand outside the tower all day long and not go inside it and say, I've got a tower at my back. You can't get me. It is not going to do me a bit of good standing in front of the tower. It is not going to do me a bit of good saying, uh, enemy, I've got a fortress back there. Uh, somewhere back there, there's a fortress for me. It's not going to do us a bit of good. I run and hide in the fortress, and it does all the good. It does all the good. The storm beats upon Jesus Christ and not me. And it won't, it won't even phase him. And this is something that we have to understand. In our flesh, we have this desire of, I've got to stand. I've got to fight. I've got to win. It's got to be me. God's got to know that I deserve him. And all God is saying, shut up and get in the door. <laughs> get in the door. I am not asking you to do anything out there. I'm not asking you to, to try to win. Then people will point to God tells us to put on the full armor of God. Do you realize that every piece of the armor of God is Jesus Christ? We put on the helmet of salvation, Jesus Christ. He covers our head. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. We put on the girdle of truth, Jesus Christ. We take up the sword of the spirit, Jesus Christ. We take the shield of faith, Jesus Christ. Our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel, of the gospel, Jesus Christ. Even in that example, we're hiding in Jesus and he takes all of the attacks and all we're, do, all we're told to do is stand and let him take the attacks. Do you see the power of when David talks about this? Living the Christian life is the easiest thing there is to do when we do it correctly. I hide in Jesus and he takes all the attacks. <laughs> I hide in Jesus, let him crucify my flesh. He does all the good works, and then he gives me the rewards, heavenly rewards for eternity. Because I let him do the work. <laughs> Christianity is easy to live if I do it God's way. It's impossible to live if I try to live it. I will fail all the time. I will lose every time. I will be beat up every time I try to stand in my own strength and say, God, look at me. I'm being, whoops, I'm being crushed. <laughs> whoops, I just took that arrow to the heart. I'm <laughs> you know, we need to get to the place where we say, God, I just need to hide in you. That's all he wants. 
He wants our flesh to be crucified. He wants us to run into the, to the fortress. He wants us to, because he's our buckler, he's our shield, he's our defender, he's our strong tower, he's our, he's our sanctuary. And he's saying, get your butt in here and just sit down. I'm, I'm the one that's going to take the battle. I've already won, as a matter of fact. I went to the cross and the devil beat him with a stick and he, and he struck the devil and said, I'm taking back everything. And he won. All we've got to do is hide in him. He's already the victor, and he has never lost a battle. I know I talk about her all the time, but I love her dearly. When Corey hid, and she asked him, hide me. Not because she was mortally ashamed of the fact she was naked in front of these German soldiers that were making fun of them, all of them but because she had the precious word of God hidden behind her back. And she didn't want them to see her. And they didn't. He hid her. And, mm -hmm. and what you're saying makes me think he became her high tower. He became her fortress. And he hid his word so those other ladies could hear it. Mm -hmm. yeah. But this is what God's wanting. He wants us... You know, if you don't believe me, start searching the scriptures. You're going to find that he says, hide yourself. You know, the, the adage that, that most Americans will quote, and they, they, they think it's in the Bible, is God helps them, the, those that help themselves. You know, Benjamin Franklin was the one that quoted that in Poor Richard's, Almanac, uh, the Poor Richard's Farmer's Almanac. He's the one that invented it. It is not scripture. As a matter of fact, it is the opposite of scripture. God helps those who finally surrender and hide into him and give up their ways. And God is such a gentleman, if you want to fight your own battles, he'll stand back and watch you. He'll watch you get beat up. He'll watch you get bloodied. He'll watch you get defeated. And he'll keep whispering, are you ready to come in yet? Are you, are you ready to get in and come out of the, come out of the battle? You know, are, are, you, are you ready yet? He's not going to drag us into the shelter. He's going to say, when you're ready, you'll come in. And he doesn't really expect us to go get bloodied and beat up before we come in. He really wants us to come in while we're still strong and think that we had something, that we could have done it and, let, and just let us hide in him. He wants to be our defense, always. When people are attacking you, when they're talking behind your back, you just step back and say, God, you're my defender. I don't know if you've ever tried to stop people from talking behind, you know, about you behind your back and ended up making a bigger mess. Yeah. You, know, you know, hey, you shouldn't be talking about me like that. And, you know, you just, you know, and people go, well, you know, you death protest too much, you know. And the minute you start protesting, you start, people start thinking that you're guilty. So it is easier just to say, God, you're my defense. God will expose them. God will bring up where their, their lies and, and, and defend you. And it is so important for us to be able to be able to do that. Is it easy to do this kind of stuff? Not until you learn to just depend on God. You may have to get bloodied and beat up a few times before you realize it's better just to run into the fortress. After a while, you kind of get this idea uh, God's going to win the battle. All I'm going to do is hide. Maybe I should just hide. How stubborn are you? How long does it take you to get there? It took me a long time to do that. 
I'm much better at it than I used to be. Still make mistakes, still, still stand out there and get beat up in the battle sometimes. I'm more likely to run in and hide than, than, than before. And God is just saying, learn it, learn it. Be, let me be your defense. David goes on to say in verse 16, Come and hear all you that fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. How many people do you share the good things that God does for you? Have you ever shared the th good things God's done for you? It's important. When you give an offering and, and God gives you that blessing, it's, it's something to share with people. When you hide in God and watch the victory, it's something to share with people. I love to hear people's testimonies. How did they come to Christ? And I love the song. I've got it. I have a story to tell to Nate. No. Anyway, one of the verse songs that I like, it goes, those who know it most love it most. And they just want to hear the testimonies over and over. And I love to hear what God, God brings people to Christ. I miss the old days of testimony time where people share their testimony about how they came to Christ because it is powerful. And the amazing thing is that every single person has a different story about how they came to Christ. How did you get, come to Christ? It's your unique story. It makes an integral part of your testimony when you share the gospel with people. How did you get there? How did you get saved? I love it. I've, I was searching for God most of my life. I was go to church. Nobody in my family went to church. I was 10 years old and went to church on a school bus and got saved, on a Sunday school bus and got saved. Came home and my dad, who knew nothing about Christianity, was trying to figure out, did I know what I had done? And you know what, at 10 years old, I really didn't know very much of what I did. All I know is that I asked Jesus to come into my heart and I was saved. And I was happy. And I was excited. And I went out and told all my friends in the neighborhood, which was the entire base housing, about Jesus. And when they said, well, well, how do you do that? I go, I have no idea. Come to, church, come, to, come to church with me Sunday. And that poor bus driver pulled up in front of our stop and had 20 kids waiting for him instead of just me. And he's like, what's going on? I go, they all want to know Jesus. <laughs> you know, I love it. You know, I didn't know much, but what I knew I shared. Yes. What is your testimony for God? What is, how did he bring you to him? You need to be able to share that with people. What is God doing now for you? He should be doing things in your life, and you should be recognizing that he's doing things in your life. It's amazing to me that I look at my budget on, this, on my computer screen, and at the bottom of the screen at the beginning of the month is this great big red blot of bills that aren't going to be paid at the current incomes. And I say, God, here's your bills. <laughs> because I don't know how they're going to get paid. And the amazing thing is... He pays the bills. How he does it, I have no idea how he's going to do it each month. But I have absolute faith because he's been doing it for months. He's going to keep doing it. And he's going to provide. Yeah. What is your testimony for what he's doing today for you? What is your testimony for what he has done for you? What is your testimony today? And you need to be thinking about this. I've shared with you one of my favorite songs is Count Your Blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. It's not positive thinking. It's just looking and saying, God, what are you doing? And wow, isn't it amazing? It becomes positive. It be, well, it becomes positive thinking in one sense. But it's like, 
Oh, wow, God, you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this. Oh, yeah, you did this. Well, maybe you're going to take care of these over here, God, because you've done all these other things. That is the purpose of all the stories in the, in the scripture. God has done all these great things for Noah, for Abraham, for Jacob, for Isaac, for Peter. And we look at that and say, God, if you can do all that for them, just maybe 200 years ago, however old the story is you're reading, wow, maybe God will still do things for me on the church. You know, wow, maybe he'll do stuff for me. It builds our faith, the miracles in our life. And it's important for us to be able to share those things that we can help. Why should we be serving him? We need to share what God's doing. We get into God's word and he shares with us. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tremendously, I'm not needing a whole bunch of building up from everybody else, but if, you all, if everybody in the church is doing, too often we as Christians will go, God, here's what I want to do. Get your butt over here and help me get it. And God's over there saying, doing a great work, and you're not, you're not joining him. It's important. Even if you're mean. Huh? Even if you're mean. Even if you're mean? <laughs> God want to get started. This one guy came up, he goes, I want to start a Bible study at BWI. And they told him, go ahead. Can you imagine doing a Bible study at an airport? Praise God. At the Bible study at the airport. Now, it may, everybody looked at our continu oh, continual right. people, yeah. but... But you put all the people that work and then all the people that can't go. The man, I can't remember if he was a pastor at the time or not, that started a church in for these kids away from their church. And finally, did it ever occur to you, you're the pastor? Yeah. We're not replacing you because you... Ministry, so it's... I'll repeat that again. Yeah, frequently. And it ends with a colon here, which means there's more to follow, but you very rarely hear bad, your God's not going to hear you, basically. But there's a colon there. That means there's a whole other clause to follow. As attended unto my prayer. Do you realize that the grace of God allowed that call? When we are backslidden and, and far, far away from God, for that son to just call out. If the prodigal son had just called out, sent him a letter, Dad, I'm stuck in all the wrong things, but I'm here. I'm still your dad. I still love you. I still care for you. I... The sad thing is there are so many Christians that, well, when this person gets their life in order, I'll go share, give them the gospel, and we'll give them the benefit of the doubt that they deserve to get to, get to know God. That's not God to be forgiven. When, when somebody is in the midst of their, the guy that you have now, repent for your five husbands and then we'll talk. He talked to a writer. And I heard Pastor just this week talking about that poor lady. And he said, you was that guy I like so much that's from India. He said, those ladies never have would go with her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. they listened because the power of what she had to say. He wants to meet us wherever we're at and restore us. When we're looking at somebody and we're going, how could God love? The person who's sinning, the easiest person to reach is a person who knows they're a sinner. Okay? I'm pretty good as a matter of fact. I keep most of God's laws. So hard to reach. That is why Jesus had such a problem with the scribes and Pharisees. Everything to do whatever they wanted anyway, but in their mind, they were righteous men headed toward heaven. Basically good is very hard to reach. 
and they are almost impossible to reach because they don't think they need. I'm going, there's plenty of other sins in their life. Deal with the other sins. Murder. They've got plenty of places where they've sinned. Don't worry about the thing that you've gone along in life thinking you were okay and then all of a sudden God said, you need to get this out of your life, it's a sin. Oh, it was a sin. <laughs> He's not going to turn his mercy from us at his children. It's amazing. Let, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come.